When my girls were little, sometimes they would cry out to me at night. They were scared of the dark. Darkness is the absence of light. Darkness. And this is what life is like without God. We misunderstand the extent of darkness in this world or we won't be able to truly celebrate and appreciate the light that comes at Christmas. You know, to an extent, our eyes have adjusted to the darkness, haven't they? An amber alert goes off on our phone but doesn't really spark any of us into any action. Another murder or crime is flashed across our screen on the 10 o'clock news and we casually reach for another handful of popcorn. Coworker is arrested for domestic violence and we just shrug and think, well, I saw that one coming. Another young person is hauled off and we think, well, good riddance. All the brokenness and all the darkness. The problem is, is that we become numb to it. It's dark, but maybe it doesn't seem as dark as it once did. But I'm telling you, it's very, very dark in these days. What scares us sometimes the most is the darkness that sometimes that comes out from within us. I mean, let's be honest. You're maybe fighting uh, with your spouse, and then you choose darkness. Maybe it's road rage. You know, you, you just got angry in traffic, and then you, you made a dark choice. Maybe it's dealing with friends that you're just not getting along with, and you decide to hold that grudge, and you, again, choose the darkness. There's really two things that we need to know about darkness. The first one is that darkness has always been there. Since Satan was cast from heaven, the darkness has always been present. The second thing is that the darkness is naturally progressive, even to the point that Jesus, the Son of God, in Luke chapter 22, as he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he turns to his disciples in that moment of his arrest, and he says, this is the hour when darkness reigns. Because it's so progressive, some of us have lost our way in the darkness. It went from yelling at our kids to striking them. It, it went from taking a few drinks with some friends to not being able to go a single day without thinking about alcohol. It takes you from looking at a catalog to spending hours online looking at graphic material. It takes you from stealing a few dollars out of petty cash, and, and no one will notice or miss it, but... It becomes embezzling thousands from the company. It takes you from a little indulgence to crippling consumer debt as we pursue more and more the things of this world. You were only thinking about using those kind of words, and then they started coming out your mouth, and now you're, you're characterized by foul language. You see, the darkness is progressive, and sometimes we lose our way in the dark. The Christian band Casting Crowns wrote a song called It's a Slow Fade, and it captures the progression of the darkness. Listen to these lyrics. It's a slow fade when you give yourself away. It's a slow fade when black and white have turned to gray. Thoughts invade. Choices are made. A price will be paid. When you give yourself away, People never crumble in a day. It's a slow fade. It's a slow fade. And it seems that that's how the darkness progresses in our lives. But it's out of this darkness that God sent us the light. 
I'll let your eyes adjust for just a moment. It's a little shocking how your eyes adjust one way, then the light comes on. That's the way I think that Satan intends it sometimes. It's, well, we just get used to the darkness. We just get comfortable in the darkness. And for some of you that fell asleep, welcome to Oakwood. We're glad you're here. Second service. We're starting the message now. And you have now seen the light, right? You've seen, you've seen the light. No, seriously, it's a special time to be part of God's church. It's, uh, it's Christmas. And before I go on, I just want to personally invite each and every one of you to be a part of our Christmas Eve uh, services on the 24th, uh, we have two service offerings at 4 p.m. and at 6 p.m., whatever works better for you. Um, it's going to be a really special service. We have some neat elements planned. It'll be less than an hour. Uh, you'll get to uh, take communion with your, your friends, your family, whoever you came with um, that, that, that afternoon and evening. And also, we are having the living nativity outside under the canopy, um, and, and there'll be real animals there. And so it's just a great time to make some memories, have some Kodak moments but to really focus on what Christmas is really all about. So we invite you to be a part of that four and six on a Christmas Eve with us. You know, we were talking about this, this light and, and this darkness, and we, we, had a, we, we had a veiled part of this in week two of this series that we've been in called Unto Us. We've been uh, this, this month going through the book of Isaiah and looking at prophetic uh, passages about Jesus Christ and, and just kind of relating them to the Christmas story because there's so much that Isaiah wrote about Jesus, and yet that was hundreds of years before he was even born. As always, you're welcome to follow along in the Bible as we'll be looking up and reading scripture this morning, or you can follow along in the app on your phone or your tablet, uh, your device, but we do want you to engage in the, in the message this morning. Take notes or underline scriptures and allow the word of God to speak to you richly this morning. You see, in the Gospels, we're used to reading the Christmas story in Matthew and Luke's account. You know, it's great. We're going to be reading those at Christmas Eve service. It's, you know, the angels and the shepherds and, and, and Mary and Joseph and the wise men and, and, you know, all of these characters that are part of the Christmas story. And, and, and that seems to be like the announcement of Christ's birth officially, right? I mean, you, you read those passages, you're like, okay, Jesus is coming into the world. He's coming. He's here. And then we think that's it. You know, if you look up online, hey, where are the Christmas passages? The, 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 webs, the websites will tell you it, it's, it's in Matthew and it's in Luke. But I would push back on that a little bit and say it's also in John's gospel. We say, John's gospel? I don't remember reading the Christmas story in John's gospel. Well, John has this way of writing that just describes it in different terms. In John's gospel, in chapter 1, verse 9, he says this, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Sounds like the first announcement of Jesus Christ's birth, right? The Son of God, the light that gives light to everyone is coming into the world. Rejoice! And be glad because Christ is coming. But if you remember, in this series, in week two, we actually looked at Isaiah chapter 9. And there was a very uh, similar proclamation made in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. Maybe you remember this from week two. This is what Isaiah 9, 2 says. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You see, it was talking about that in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, some 740 years before Jesus was born. 
700 in approximately 80 years before John writes what we read in John 1.9. And so we see that this light, this idea of this darkness being here and this light walking into it, this light coming out and pushing back on the darkness is there from Isaiah to John's gospel and even to us today. A couple of things I want to bring out of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2 is this. The, the people choosing sin over God have seen the light. The people that are lost in, 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 in their sinfulness, they have seen the light. The people that are choosing sin over a relationship with God, choosing sin over God's ways of life, they have seen the light. That's what the first part of Isaiah 9, 2 is talking about. It says the people that are walking in darkness. When I read walking in darkness, I think that's walking in darkness by choice. They are choosing to stay in the darkness that they are in. They are choosing sin over their relationship with God. Walking in the darkness. And it's as if Isaiah the prophet here is putting them on notice and telling them, hey, for those of you that have chosen this way, there is a way out. For those that are choosing to walk in, dar in darkness, you are put on notice now. There is a way out, and it's a better way. You need to come to the light. And sometimes I think they get so used to the darkness, the light is a shock, and sometimes that's all they desire is just a little bit of light. I don't know if you remember this story, but it was 2010. And about August 5th, I believe the whole world was glued to their television sets and to the internet trying to find out what had happened. Do you remember August 5th, 2010? It was 33 Chilean miners had been trapped in a mine. And the whole world was watching to see what would happen. 33 Chilean miners in a gold and diamond mine that were some 600 feet below the earth's surface. And the mine had caved in on them. For days, we had no idea if they were even alive. Do you remember this? And all the experts were talking about, you know, is there enough air in the mine shaft? I mean, there's going to be some air down there. But how much air and how many days could they breathe that air before it loses all of its oxygen saturation? Could it be five days, seven days, 10 days? How, how many supplies did they have down in the mine? I mean, did they have enough water to survive? Did they have enough food to survive? And after about 10 days, then it's day 11 and 12 and 13 and 14. We're going on two weeks now and there's no contact with the miners. If you remember right, on day 17, they take a big drill bit. It's very risky that it might move things and make the mine collapse even more, but they take a drill bit and they drill it down to the depth where they believe the miners are trapped. And now they have this lifeline. There's this passageway. The air can flow. They can send supplies down. And it's just a, it's just a little, little thing, maybe six inches wide, but this, but this drill bit has drilled all the way down there. And for some reason, I don't know how it happened, but the, the miners had written a note. They somehow stuck it onto the end of that drill bit. When they pulled the drill bit all the way up, it says, 33 miners all alive. And I don't know if you remember that, but the world like rejoiced. Okay, but how are we going to get these guys out? If you remember, it was 69 days. It was the middle of October before they got out of the mine. In those 17 days where there was no contact, see, after they drilled the hole, they could send supplies, bottles of water down there. They could send some flashlights down there. They could send some food down there and try to keep them alive down there while they're trying to figure out a way, a very risky operation, to get these people out. And 
After they get them out on, on day 69, the world's tuned in, they're rejoicing. All 33 men get out. And they, if you remember right, they had just drilled that same hole. They just kept expanding it to get it wide enough to get an, a capsule down there. Still very risky that it would cave in some more. They get this capsule down there, and one at a time, they get all 33 men out of the earth. And of course, you know, the media is in a frenzy. They want to interview these guys and talk to them. What was it like? What was it like? What was it like? And as the stories progress, more and more stories are shared about what they experienced down there. One of the things they said they missed the most was the light. You see, they had the flashlights and the gear and the helmets and all of that, but they're on battery power. And day one, they realized, hey, you know, we're trying to find our way and we're tending to wounds and, and to those that are injured. And, and, you know, we need the light, but we need to salvage the light. So we're going to sit in darkness and then we're going to turn the lights on when we need them. And then we're going to sit in darkness. And as the days wore on, they said one of the worst things wasn't the supplies or the air or any of that stuff because they had enough down there with them to survive. The worst part was the darkness. The darkness. The darkness that pervades the darkness that when you're caught up in it, man, you just want out. You just, you just want to find the light. The darkness seems to overwhelm us. And it's a wake-up call here in Isaiah 9-2 in the first part where Isaiah is saying, hey, to those that are choosing to walk in the darkness, you have seen the great light. Jesus has come, you're going to see that light. And it's reminded us that God can lead us out of that darkness. The second thing about Isaiah 9, 2 is the people who are suffering the consequences of sin have seen the light of hope. The people who are suffering the consequences of sin have seen the light of hope. I think that's why it says there, if you read that, it says, on those living in the land of deep darkness. It doesn't say those are walking in darkness like it says in the first part of the verse. It says those that are living in the land. They're just living in the land of this deep darkness. Darkness and to them a light has dawned. To me, what that's meaning there is that some of them are in perpetual darkness. They've been walking in darkness so long they can't even see their hand in front of their face. I mean, they they have made these sinful choices and they're still in them, or 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 perhaps they're 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 now living in the land of deep darkness because of choices they made a long time ago, but they have perpetual consequences even even into today. Some of those choices I made 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago are haunting us to today because there's, there's these consequences. And so to some, I think that's what it means when it says living in the land of deep darkness. To those living in there, the light has dawned. But then I thought about it a little more and I said, to those living in the land of darkness, but what about the ones that didn't make any sinful choices? What about the ones that are suffering the consequences of sinful choices of someone else? What about the victims? So many times it pops into my mind is the kids. You know, the messed up parents that got these kids. And it's not really the kids' faults. They're, they're suffering because of their parents' sinful choices. For some of it, it was their parents' parents' sinful choices. It was grandma and grandpa. And for some, it was great-grandma and great-grandpa. But these, these patterns of behavior and relating were introduced in a sinful way to a family, and it has been carried on to the second and to the third and to the fourth generation in the darkness, to those living in the land of deep darkness. They may have even seen the light in four generations. This light has dawned. Jesus has come to give us hope, to give us a way out. 
In John's gospel, just a few chapters later, uh, from chapter 1 and in chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says it this way. It says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. How do you get the light of life? And how does it stay with you? What does it say there? Whoever follows me, whoever follows me, will never walk in darkness. I had something happen this year with uh, lights that I've never had happen before. I'm a Christmas light decorator, and I'm one of those that's a glutton for punishment, and that every year, you know, we add something to the display. Don't do that. That's a horrible idea, okay? Horrible idea. Don't listen to your children. I know they want more, but they're going to grow up and move away someday, and yeah. So what, what, what's happened, though, is I, I had something happen this year I've never had happen before. It just happened this week. All the lights that I had hung on the eaves of my house all blew down. Okay? I mean, you guys have been mourning the tree downtown. Hey, mourn my house, okay? <laughs> Took three hours for four of us, me and my daughters, to hang lights on the house after Thanksgiving. And they all blew down. Yeah, we were that house. With the lights, we, they, they turned on that night. You know, it's a dusk till dawn sensor, right? And it, but they were just laying <laughs> randomly on the ground. And it's like, whoa, what a, what a display. In fact, the girls were making fun. They thought people were driving by with, you know, with phones and cameras taking shots of what a weird light display as the lights are just in clumps all over, all over the base of the house. Well, I had a party we were hosting at our, our house on Friday night. We were having the, the staff over for a Christmas party. And I said... Girls, because, you know, this, this happened, I, I was like, I, I don't think I'm going to have time. I don't have a three-hour chunk. I mean, we've got to make all this stuff, bake all this stuff, got to clean the house, and we've got to get all this stuff ready. And they're out. there's no way I see in my schedule I'm going to have three hours to put these Christmas lights back up. Well, I, I, get, I get home on Thursday, and I spot three of my precious daughters out there hanging the lights. They had hung half of the lights on the house already. And at that point, I knew we have to finish this job. So they had hung all the ones that you could reach around the house. They got out the step stools and the ladders and the little bench and all this that we used to do that. And then the part that's high above the driveway, the, the part that you put an 18-foot extension ladder out, and then you reach that one. I helped finish that. Um, and it was great. But it was important to us, right, because of the lights. We like the lights. I remember the girls saying, hey, we don't want to be the only house on our block. That, that is like dark or has the lights on the ground. I mean, you know, pick that light up and let it shine, right? We like the light. We like what the light represents. We like the beauty of the light. And most people, if it weren't too much trouble, they would probably hang some lights. Where does that tradition come from? It's interesting if you study it out. It is actually a tradition that began in Europe in the 17th century. What they would do to celebrate and observe Christmas and to remember Christ coming into the world is it was customary for you to light a candle and to put it in your windowsill. And then many homes could afford multiple candles because that was their source of light in those days. Before electricity, they would set a candle in every window of the house. And it was a reminder as people trolled the streets and came around and had their comings and goings after dark that they would see these houses with the, the candles. And everybody remembered that was the light that represented Christ, the Son of God coming into the world. It was in later in the 17th century in Germany that they began another tradition. 
uh, the Christmas trees were, were already a thing. And they decided, hey, to celebrate the Christmas tree and to remember the light of, of Christ um, in the Christ tree, uh, in the Christmas tree, we're actually going to hang these little candles on the tree. And that's what they would do. They actually hang these little candles on, all over the Christmas tree and light them and watch them. That wasn't such a good idea. <laughs> take, a, take a dead, dry tree that you just cut down and put a bunch of candles on it and watch what happens, okay? Don't, don't try this at home. Uh, yeah, there were many trees lost and homes lost uh, due to that tradition. But that's where the tradition actually started from, was putting candles that they would light on a Christmas tree. And then from there it became putting, you know, let's do a little saver. We'll put, put the candles on the mantle, right? Put the candles around the kitchen table. And lights became a thing at Christmas time. That to remember Christ and his light coming into the world, we're going to celebrate by doing light displays and hanging them up. Then you get into, you know, we've, 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 we've got electricity now. And, and Edison, you know, he invents the light bulb. And, and now we're into today. And, and now we can do it safely, right, with, with fire retardant material and, and all these things. And it's wonderful. Now even today, you know, uh, instead of incandescent bulbs, you got LEDs, right, light-emitting diodes that you can hang. And they use less energy. And they're safe. And they don't run so hot. And they're cool. And, and all this stuff. And it's been a great tradition. You know, what, what I always got stuck on in thinking about lights, though, was where did the tradition of hanging them on your house and doing all that stuff come, came from? I was like, where did that really come from? And I think I, I, think I found out where it came from. It came from wives. <laughs> it came from, came from wives and mothers of the home. And they, they were a little bit irked at their husbands and didn't have a great year. They said, how? They met as a committee, okay? They, they met as a committee. They got together. They said, how? How can we get back our husbands a little bit at Christmas time and get a little satisfaction? So they said, hey, you know what? Let's have them hang lights on the house. Let's make them climb ladders and get on rooftops. And we're going to make them put lights. That's a great idea. So they decided, let's put lights on the house. And, and so that's where that tradition began. And then they said, oh, no, I have another idea. Hey, what if we did this, okay? What if we put a whole bunch of lights on the same string, and if one bulb goes out, they all go out. <laughs> Every light goes out. And then and all the ladies sitting around are like, yes, yes, that's a great idea. You know, oh, and another lady, I agree. I got another great idea, I got another great idea. What if every year when they put them away and they get them back out the next year, they're always tangled? What if we create wires that would just tangle them into this garbled mess? They'd have to spend hours untangling the lights. You know, we could get in the attic during the year and clean the attic. And when we clean the attic, we could wind up all of the lights and put them in. And like, yes, it's a great idea. And they all applauded instead. And that's how the tradition of Christmas lights and hanging them on the house began. Not really, but <laughs> lights. Lights are a big deal. In 2009 and 10, when we uh, did a little technology upgrade to the sanctuary, the majority of that upgrade was lights. The lights above your head, the lights up here on stage, the color washes, and some of the intelligent lighting we had. Lights are a big deal. And I think a lot of that is because we enjoy it because we know what it represents deep down inside. In fact, we are referenced in the Bible as children of the light. Children of the light. We're to be light bearers ourselves. And yet we can get so mixed up in the darkness of the world. Sometimes I think we lose touch with the darkness. We don't realize we're there. But sometimes... Sometimes I think you can get into a deep state of despair because you're overwhelmed by the darkness and you lack hope. 
I wonder if that's what's happened in, in just the last couple of years. You got p- pandemic and health issues, and then you got all these things happening in the world, and then you, you look into our nation, and everything's getting more violent, and it just seems like the darkness is progressive, and it's progressing even more, and it's leading us to this point of despair. Will it ever change? Will we ever get back to the way that it was? We won't without the light of Jesus Christ. It's not possible without the intervention of the Son of God. And God knew that for the time of Isaiah and King Ahaz. He knew that for the time that Jesus was actually brought physically into the world. And he knows that even for us today. We need the light. The good news is if you accept the light of God's Son, it will illuminate your darkness. He can, he can make the darkness and, and push back on the darkness in your life, and you can see the light of Christ, and you can watch that light just grow in your life. But some, some people have a hard time with the light. They just, they just won't accept it. In fact, it's almost like they shun the light. John's gospel speaks of this a little bit, and I want to share just a couple thoughts from John's gospel this morning. John tells us these things about the light that came at Christmas time. The first thing that I notice as I read John chapter 1 is that darkness will not overcome it, so we should walk in the light. Darkness will not overcome it, so we should walk in the light. Look at John's gospel there, chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. It says, In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Do you hear that? The darkness is not going to overcome it. Just stay and cling to the light. Walk in the light. And for some of you, and I think probably for most of us sitting here this morning, you would say, yes, I'm a child of the light. Yes, I've accepted Christ Jesus. But then if someone looked at your life, would they say, oh, yeah, you're not a child of darkness. You're a child of light. Except, well, this represents darkness and This is darkness, and you're into this sin pattern in your life. It's a habitual problem in this. And I think maybe the message for us from John's gospel this morning is to acknowledge, yes, some of us need to come back to the light. Some of us really need to dig down deep and really look inside ourselves and really come back to the light and become aware of the darkness that we've allowed to pervade us. The darkness that seems to be progressive and maybe slow in nature, but tends to consume us. The pursuits of some of the things of this world. But remember, children of the light, the darkness will not overcome it. But you have a choice to make. Choose to walk in the light. The second thing we learn from John chapter 1 is that many reject the light because they refuse to recognize and receive his lordship. Many reject the light because they refuse to recognize and receive his lordship. Look at John chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Verse 9 is what I read earlier. It says, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Verse 10. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, and his own did not receive him. It seems so strange. When I first read that, I was thinking, you know, is it, do they not see him or recognize him or receive him because they're distracted? Maybe they're just distracted by the things of this world. Maybe they're distracted by sin management. You know, I've got to manage the sin in my life. And, you know, if I'm going to be a church-going 
Christian that's perpetually sinful, though, I, you know, I've got to put that, got to put that drawer away. I mean, I'm not going to bring that to church. I got to get out my Jesus drawer for church. And we compartmentalize sometimes, causes us not to recognize and receive true lordship of Jesus Christ that will change your life. Remind me of the song we sang earlier, Joy to the World. I love so many parts of our Christmas songs. They're just so rich with doctrine and theology and, and good sound doctrine. And I, I like Joy to the World. Do you remember the line in Joy to the World where it says, let every heart do what? Prepare him room. You know, I was thinking about that. Let every heart prepare him room. Why well, wasn't like let every heart receive Christ as king. Let every heart accept his free gift of salvation and forgiveness of sins, you know. But it, it didn't say that. It says, let every heart prepare him room. And it makes sense if you think about it. If your life is so full of everything else, do you have room for Christ Jesus? When you look at your schedule for Christmas week, did you Prepare him room. That, that word prepare gives us this idea of, of preparation. That it, it's not just going to happen through osmosis. You prepare him room. You prepare time to be in the word. You prepare time to be in prayer. You prepare time to worship him and reflect, to sing praises to his name. Let every heart prepare him room so you can receive and walk in the light of Jesus Christ. I think maybe there's something in there for all of us. Prepare him room. Or you might miss the light. And there, I think, are going to be times this week. It may have already happened for us this month, but I think it will be times this week and maybe even the next week and even maybe into January a little bit. They say this is the time of year where we spend more time with family and friends than any other time of the year. More time spent family and friends now than any other time of the year. I think some of us will be frustrated They'll be frustrated when, you know, my sister comes over and her kids or my brother comes over and his kids and, you know, all the cousins are there and we're just shaking our heads. Man, those kids are out of control and their marriage is a mess. And, and you'll sit there and you'll kind of nod and you'll be disturbed and you'll be, uh, you know, wagging your finger and your eyebrows of repentance and judgment will be upon them. And, you know, you'll see the darkness in others and it will frustrate you. But... Let's go back to what it says here, that many, many rejected. Look, look what it says there. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Many reject the light because they refuse to recognize or receive his lordship. And it just doesn't happen today. I mean, I want you to understand, this was happening in Jesus' day as well. When Jesus was born into the world, this was going on in, in Jesus' day as well. People would not receive him. People would not recognize him. You're like, duh, it's the son of God. He does miracles. He preaches like no preacher. He's absolute truth. He's sinless, and he raises the dead. What do you mean you're not going to receive him? What do you mean you don't think he's the light and the Messiah? Some did not receive him and recognize him. The last thing this morning, many will leave the darkness and receive salvation and adoption into God's family. Isn't that good news? Many will leave the darkness. They're going to receive salvation 
and adoption into God's family. They become sons and daughters of God. In John chapter 1, at verse 12, it says this, Yet to all who did receive him, there were some, who all, to all that did receive him, to those who believed in his name, they put their faith in Jesus Christ. For those that believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God Almighty himself. He's talking about born-again people. And if you read verse 14, then it says, The Word became flesh. Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us in human form. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and of truth. People who are born of God, born-again Christians. When was the last time you heard that, right? They're, They're remade and they're new Why? Because they've come into the light and they push back on the darkness. The darkness can seem fun for a season. I know as Christians we don't like to acknowledge that, don't like to talk about that, but it's true. The darkness can seem okay for a season, maybe even fun, but there's this pull toward it and then the destruction happens. But accepting the light into your life that pushes back on the darkness. What we thought God sent us for maybe judgment was actually just loving discipline for those he loves. And then he gives us Jesus, the lifeline for grace and peace and mercy and forgiveness and a way out of the tunnel of sin that we've buried ourselves in. The light comes and it's the light of hope, the light of Jesus. And how is this possible? It's only through his sacrifice. You see, I would be remiss if I didn't share the rest of Isaiah with you this morning. We, we started in Isaiah 7, chapter 9, chapter 11. Uh, it, it talks about Jesus all throughout Isaiah's writings. But then we get to Isaiah chapter 53. Buried way deeper in, in Isaiah's writings is another reference to Jesus Christ. And in 7 and 9 and 11, it's been about his glory. It's been about his coming kingdom. It's been about his power and his might. It's, it's been about him coming into the world and saving the world. It's about the light that is coming into the darkness. It's been about all these things. And then we get to Isaiah 53, and it's another prophecy about Jesus. But it reads completely different because it doesn't read about his glory so much, but his suffering. I think that we need to read that together this morning. And we'll end with this, Isaiah 53. He who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed. Listen to this, verse two. He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. Do you remember that last week from 11 verse one? The branch of Jesse that comes out of the dead stump. Here it is, the reference. He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. Jesus comes into the world. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. In other words, he was a normal looking guy. Nothing in his appearance that would make you desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took 
up our pain, and he bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and it's only by his wounds that we can be healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, Yet who of this generation protested for him? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. And yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin... He will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion amongst the great. He will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life into death and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made the intercession for the transgressors. It's not, it's not glorious. It's not cool. It's not like, wow, that's great. Yeah, Jesus. Son of God, Messiah coming into the world. It's interesting because it says even here that there's nothing, nothing about him that would attract you to him other than what? It wasn't his looks. It was his love. His great love for us. And Jesus took on, did you hear all the suffering he's going through? He took on all the sin and all the iniquity and all the transgressions for all time. God put it all on Jesus and he gave his life as a sacrifice so that we could become children of the light. And folks, if you're not a child of the light this morning, don't, don't, don't waste another moment. Come to Christ. Come to Christ. Become his child. I know some of you feel like I'm in the despair of darkness. I've walked in darkness for so long. I don't think Jesus could help with this kind of darkness. Jesus was in the dark himself. He was buried in the tomb. And on the third day, he came out. He resurrected his own life. And he wants to resurrect yours. And it's only possible through Jesus Christ. Jesus. 